Uh, all right, well, this morning I'm talking about wisdom, which obviously I need a lot of because I can't put a microphone on. Um, we're, gonna, uh, we're working our way through this series called Reconstruction, and basically, if this is your first week in this series, or if this is your first week with us, welcome. I've almost never been more fired up about a series that we've been doing, um, just because it lends itself to so much good just locally here in the community and at large in the terms of our broader faith and lives and all that kind of stuff. But what we're doing is we're remaining extremely local. Uh, as you can see right here underneath, we have like the little caricatures from our infographic, which we go through every day, or every Sunday. <laughs> I go through it every day, just to, you know, brush up. Um, we go through it every Sunday, and what we're trying to do is work our way through every arrow that we have out, because our, our whole heart as a church uh, is to be outside of these walls. Because uh, we can get really caught up on the Sunday gathering, and we're going to talk about the Sunday gathering. This is important. It's vital for our faith. But it's not the only component of being part of a church community or even a faith community. Community entails being together even though we're apart and carrying on this mission even when we're outside these walls. And in an effort to do that, we're trying to reconstruct and take back some of our original goals. And the reason we're doing that uh, is because kind of the coolest thing you can do right now in the Christian tradition, the most cutting edge thing you can do, is take the Bible and basically look at a passage and knock it to pieces, right? And we've done a lot of that, right? We've taken this stuff that has hurt people, we've taken some of the more, the clobber passages we talked about last week, and we deconstruct them, right? But the problem is, a lot of the time, we'll deconstruct to the point that we've just busted the building down to the point that nothing can be built there in the first place anymore, right? We just gotta leave and start over somewhere else. What I'm hoping we can do with reconstruction is tear something down with the intent to build it back up. Tear something down with the intent to build it back up. And I think that the arrows that we have that go out are the perfect avenue into doing that, into building a healthy faith. You can almost think of this series, this is just going to affect a lot of you, especially if you've experienced any sort of loss of faith or disenfranchised, just sort of like, oh, the church, that kind of stuff. What we're trying to do is give you tools for when the whole thing falls apart, what do I do? And the answer is you'd be extremely thankful because it's the points in our lives where things fall apart that God shows up the most. He's really, really, really good at this stuff. And so we did two weeks on service, uh, and now we're moving. Do we have the actual infographic, um, Sean? Thank you, sir. Um, I never thank Sean. I just sort of call him out, and if he misses it, it's all his fault. So thank you, Sean. Um, we did service. We're going to work our way around the bend here. And so we are at Mentors. And this one's a tricky one, guys, because out of all of them, this is the hardest one uh, to get completed. Is, is uh, Noah here? Noah, would you raise your hand? That is our sole mentoree test. Would you raise your hand? That is our sole mentor link for the mentoree. <laughs> there you have it, the entire arrow. Here it is. And they've done wonderful. Um, but we have, other <laughs> we have other people. Uh, that want to be in that mentor camp, and then also other people that would love to be mentored. Uh, so here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to make it really, really practical and very simple for us. I'm going to suggest that just like that little table there, this is going to revolve around a single cup of coffee. That's it. And a single cup of coffee that we are going to buy for you. So what's going to happen if you would like to be mentored? You all have community cards somewhere scattered within you. If you don't have one, we'll get you one. Um, or you can email Email me. My email is super easy. It's just josh at resonate.church. Um, you can email me. We'll, we'll gauge the interest level on this. And for those of you who have written, I would love to 
be in a mentorship relationship. Otherwise, like I would love a mentor in my life. That would be really cool. Um, for the mentor I'm gonna link you with, this isn't like you guys have to like have coffee and then you've gotta meet ritually once a week for the rest of your lives. It's just that cup of coffee. And we're leaving it at that. I'm gonna say like, it's like an hour where you just sit down with someone and if stuff takes hold and you hit off and you really are learning, engaging from each other, we're gonna leave it to you guys to kind of build out what you want that relationship to be. But if you would like a mentor in your life, and hopefully I'm gonna make a case for why we should all have mentors in our lives this morning. If I don't, we'll get no responses. <laughs> uh, but if you would like that, please indicate that on the card. And then I will link you with a mentor. Now, who are our mentors? Great question. If you don't submit a card that says I would like to be mentored, I'm gonna ask you to mentor. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's not, it's not gonna be that serious. Uh, I will reach out to a couple of you that I have in mind uh, this week to see if you'd just be interested in this. But um, if you would like a mentor, again, write it down. I cannot say it enough. I need to say it like 50 times for you guys to sink in. To write it down and then I will be in contact with you. We'll get you that um, gift card uh, online. So um, do that and uh, yeah, let's launch into what we're talking about this morning. Let me pray for us. Um, well, here's our roadmap. We're gonna go, uh, I always like it because this centers me and it centers us all. You know I have a plan. So it's wisdom, proverbs, and puzzle pieces. And those are the three parts we're gonna do. And in that, hopefully, we'll find out why it's important to have a mentor. Quick sidebar here. In my life, I really leaned into this at a young age and I loved having mentors. I probably had like 20 mentors in high school. And that's not a brag, even though it kind of is. I had like 20 mentors because I really enjoyed being around people that were more seasoned than me. Because every time I did that, I realized I'm kind of skipping the line here just a little bit, right? When you sit down with someone who has wisdom, which is what we're gonna talk about, which is different than IQ. People that have wisdom, you're gonna learn, especially if you are being mentored, that if you're truly sitting down with someone wise, they're probably gonna talk a lot less than you do. And you're gonna outpour what's going on in your life, and oh, I'm going through this and this, 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 what do you think? And a lot of times they'll just sit there and go, oh, that's so nice. Like, <laughs> and that's all they have to say. I had so many that it was to the point when we were going through our wedding invitations when Chelsea and I got married, that there was this long list of names that Chelsea had never seen, met, or anything like that. And she's like, and I, I, I kept going like, oh, that was a mentor of mine. That was a mentor of mine. And it, to a certain point, she's like, okay, no mentors are being invited. <laughs> like that was, that was what it was like. But we need these people in our lives. Guys, we need people that come around us and can actually strengthen us. You need it in your regular career. There's not a single person sitting here that is working in some sort of field that can't think of at least one person that gave them that big break, that decided that they would have coffee with them, that poured into them, that taught them the trade, right? We have these in almost every other aspect of our lives. And if we have it in every aspect of our lives, we need to have it in our faith because those aren't separate, okay? So, it's my hard sell for mentors. We're gonna do wisdom, proverbs, puzzle pieces. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, just for this morning, for the ability to talk about uh, wisdom and what that means and how there's just so much of it. And I, uh, I pray uh, that we would gain just a little bit of wisdom and even more than that, we would gain sort of the knowledge of what it is to let wisdom just seep into us and how that happens when we give our lives away to others, amen. All right, so let's start with wisdom. Wisdom is huge in the Bible. If you turn to almost any book in the Bible, it's going to have something to do 
with wisdom. In fact, there are some books in the Bible, which is a chunk of the Old Testament, which are called the wisdom books. And these books are literally just these kind of, like it, it reads more like a Zen Buddhist tradition than it does Christianity. When you go through, it's just all these little one-liners of wisdom, especially the book of Proverbs we're gonna get to. But in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified. So wisdom isn't just out there, this weird esoteric, like what is it, how do I pin it down? Wisdom is actually personified as a woman. And in the Greek, in the New Testament, she's also personified as a woman, and we have a word for that, and that's called Sophia, which is where we get the name Sophia. That means wisdom. And so she's personified as this woman, and what Proverbs and Scripture makes it clear is that she is literally everywhere. You cannot escape. In fact, one of the verses in Proverbs describes her as this woman who is on the street corner screaming at you as you walk by. That's how intense this wisdom thing is, right? And, little fun side note here, the book of Proverbs was written to train up teenage boys in the ancient tradition. So, what better way to personify wisdom and get their attention than to put it as a personification of a woman, right? This is, this is fantastic. They're very wise, right? So, we have wisdom and it's screaming at you from every corner. You cannot avoid it. And we have one side, which is wisdom over here, and then we have another personification, which is foolishness. So there's wisdom and there's foolishness, and foolishness is personified as a sex worker, right? We're beginning to see the theme here. Proverbs are a little racy. <laughs> so we have wisdom, and you cannot escape it. In fact, wisdom declares herself as she introduces herself in the book of Proverbs. She says this. Do you have that first scripture? She says, the Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was formed long ages ago, at the very beginning, when the world came to be. Now, this gets a little tricky because Proverbs comes way after this first book in the Bible called Genesis, which is the beginning. In fact, the very opening line says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So we know that's what happened in the beginning, and it does not say, in the beginning, God and wisdom created the heavens and the earth, right? But here's the tricky part and the cool part. That word beginning is very, very, very important. That word beginning is a word called, do we have that Hebrew phrase up there? Or Rashith. Can you all say Rashith? I love having a little participant. Rashith. Rashith is fantastic. Rashith is the same word that's used in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And when wisdom proclaims, I was there in the beginning, the Rashith, it means in the beginning. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In our version, there are 10 words in that phrase. In the Hebrew version, there are seven words in that phrase, and that's very, very important because everything in the biblical tradition is intentional. There's limited space. There's limited time to talk. So we want to get the message across as soon as possible, and everyone would have known if they encountered that text what that number seven would have meant. And in the ancient Jewish tradition, there was a lot more counting of the words. That actually meant something. It was important, right? So we have seven words. Seven words which then coincide with seven days of creation. I love seven. If you've heard my seven rant before, I'm sorry. I'm going to sit through it one more time. Seven days of creation. And that seven basically in, in, encompasses this idea of completeness. So what God is telling you from the very beginning of this book and what the author is trying to convey is even from the very start with these first seven words, we have a plan. You are in good hands. It's sort of like the way I gave us the roadmap, right? You are in good hands. This is already complete from the very start. And what wisdom is playing off of in that thing, because they knew they would know the book of Genesis, she goes, I was there in the Rashith. 
And notice that that says in the beginning and not at the beginning. So this isn't wisdom saying, I, I was present at the beginning of the creation. No, what she's saying is I was inside the beginning of the creation. I am literally intertwined in the character of God and how he creates. And we can see this if we just look around basic creation. Right? This is the flock of birds that somehow all fly in unison. This is the salmon that somehow knows how to get into fresh water. This is, uh, I had one more written down. Salmon, fresh water. Um, oh, this is crazy. There are trees that will literally grow towards the light. Right? So if they're in a shady spot and they can't get sunlight, something in their DNA causes them to grow into the sunlight. We have creation giving us these examples of creation literally pulling, its pulling itself towards the things that give life and not away. All of creation is constantly trying to create life. And so it is with our faith and so it is with wisdom. Wisdom is different than just knowing the facts or the right answers. Wisdom is being able to read the situation, assess the situation, and respond differently. It's not how do I solve this problem? This is the cool little pastor switch around here. This is not how to solve the problem. This is how can the problem solve me? What can I learn from this situation? In the Talmud, which is the original sort of like, uh, let's play with the Bible, let's figure out what's in here and what this means, and it's basically just a bunch of rabbis arguing all the time, and we're gonna get to that, it's a really cool tradition, but they just argue, and they argue, and they argue, and there's one argument for this, and there's one argument for that. The one thing they all agree on is that it says, what makes someone wise is someone who can learn from anyone. Meaning that wisdom is a tradition that takes us on a life of learning, and it takes us in this position of student and not always teacher. That there's always something to learn from every single situation. I've encountered this in my life. Where now, I've gotten to the point where I actually crave a bad situation. And that's not because I'm sadistic and weird. I crave a bad situation because I've realized that especially in my role here, stories are what it's all about, right? Like, if you're collecting stories, and if I'm collecting stories of, of like, oh, and I just kept winning and winning and everything was great, you would leave in a second, right? But if I can get up here and humbly proclaim to you, like, oh, my gosh, how wrong I was, right? That's good story, and there's wisdom, and you can learn from that. Right around this time every year, uh, I go and watch um, college basketball uh, in Las Vegas with Sean, who's running the slides. Sean is going, where are you going with the stories? Halt immediately. Um, every year I go there, and uh, last, last time we were there, we were, um, we were like, we were there for a number of days, and if you've ever been to Vegas for a number of days, you immediately want to leave. Like, it's not a place you want to be <laughs> for that long. So we get to the airport, and we're ready to fly home, and we're just, you know, like, we're ready. Like, get me home. And then over the loudspeaker, it says, your flight has been canceled. Like, so-and-so number has been canceled. And there wouldn't be another one until, this is like in the morning, it would have been way later at night, right? And we just look at each other, devastated. Like, just, oh, no, we're stuck here for another X amount of hours. And so we go, well, let's see if we can rent a car. We look, I open, like, my little kayak app, and I'm looking for cars, and uh, we looked, and the only car rental we could get was, like, $400, because you have to, like, drop it off, you pick it up, and you drop it off, right? Um, and, and we're, like, devastated. We're, like, well, I guess we're just, I guess we're just here. Like, and at this point, we kind of just hate each other, so we're, like, I, I guess I just got to look at you for longer. Anyway, so then my app refreshes, and on the very top, it just goes, like, bing, and 
for, I, I forget what it was, like $70 or something, something so minimal compared to what it was. But what it was, was it was a 15 passenger van <laughs> that basically they wanted us to drive from Vegas to LA so the rental car company could have it there. So we were able to get it for like nothing. And Sean and I look at each other and we both go, just book it. So we booked the, the $70 15 passenger van <laughs> and we get to the rental place and the guy looks at us and he's like, oh, that's fun, you guys are going to LA? How many people are you bringing? We're like, it's just us, like that's it. And we hop in the 15 passenger van which pulls around the corner and like we're with all these other people who are waiting for their rental cars and we go and we march in and they're like, is anyone else with them? Nope, and then we just drive away and it's the two of us and we did not stop one time <laughs> to get on. We just went down the freeway. But there was a point that I turned and I looked to Sean. I, I, had, I had just taken over this role uh, and it had been a couple of months, but I was getting to a point where like, there's this uh, idea in the music industry, and especially if you listen to a lot of music, a band will create their first album and the idea is like you have your entire life to write your first album, but then after that, you gotta get that sophomore slump or you gotta top it with an amazing sophomore album, which rarely ever happens because there's such a deep well they're pulling from from the beginning and then they have to learn to reinvent, right? And I just remember going, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of out of, lack of a better term, painful stories. <laughs> and I looked at Sean and I just went, I needed this. Which is such a weird thing to say when you're in a 15 passenger van going like 80 miles an hour. <laughs> we were driving that fast, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> but I needed this. And I think, that's what we really have to hold on to as we look at the wisdom tradition and we look at the way that wisdom seeps into us. It's looking at the terrible situation and asking the right questions towards it. What can I learn from you? How can you teach me? This seems awful right now and I can't believe it. How can I learn from this situation? And this goes the same for the pause. A lot of the anguish moments we experience and the pause moments where it seems like nothing is happening this is often the time that we are stuck on the, store, on the corner with Lady Wisdom screaming in our ear, learn from this. Take something from this. Who is wise? The person that can learn from anyone. And this goes with the people in our lives too. A lot of the time we look at a person with a like, certain amount of stature and we'll go, oh, I can learn from them. When in reality, the conversations that we have all the time should just be asking questions, asking questions asking questions, because what you're doing in those moments is you're literally mining for the gold in their hills. And wisdom is doing that to us all the time. I think when Jesus sees us in a really terrible situation, he's looking at it like dynamite that can get the gold out of those hills in our lives. Like, oh, this I can use, right? And it's not to say we can't do that just on the normal path and we can't do that in joy. We can, but we're using shovels, not dynamite. It's the pause moments where we go, oh, I can use this. That's when wisdom settles in and not just the collection of facts. That's what wisdom has to do with everything. It's in everything. Basically what wisdom is saying in the beginning is I am a part of all of this and you just have to pay attention. I'm right here amongst you and I want you to learn. I wanna take you further than you were before. 
And a lot of times we look at that and we look at that as years, and that really doesn't have a lot to do with what wisdom is. You can meet people, perfect example, my wife is a kindergarten teacher, um, she has incredible students. And every year I get to come in and play guitar uh, with the students and hang out for a little bit, like 15 minutes maximum because it's dirty in there. Um, but I, I'm in there, <laughs> play guitar, and I always get to meet like these awesome, fun uh, little people. And it's amazing to see, even at a young age, the wisdom that can be in a child, right? It, there was this uh, little boy named Clayton, and Clayton and I hit it off right away because Clayton wants to be a sound engineer. He's five years old. He wanted to be a sound engineer. That was his plan, and he already had like radio equipment at home. He's telling you all about it. Um, and then we're, we're like playing, and one of the kids goes, Mr. Cobia, I bet you you can't pick up Clayton. And, and I, I went, well, that's an odd request. Uh, Clayton, that's up to you. Do you mind if I pick you up? That's Star Wars. Than that. <laughs> you, you, know, you should have kept that going because the story was escalating to here. Um, I said, Clayton, can I, do you mind if I pick you up to prove it? And he looks at me and he goes, he looks at me right in the eyes and goes, Mr. Cobia, you're a married man. <laughs> and, and I just went, wow, this kid has got it, right? Wisdom can come regardless of the age that you are. And as you look for mentors and people that you can actually follow, you don't need to look at someone who may be further down the life path. You might just need to look at someone who may have had more hurt or more experience than you have already experienced. Because when you sit down with someone who's young and truly has wisdom, the best question is to ask her, okay, what did you go through? What brought you here? I want to know. Because there's something humming on a different level in this old soul, and I've got to understand what it is. But there's a flip side to that, and it's very, very important to talk about. And that is that a lot of us young folks think we are those old souls, and we are not. <laughs> right? And we get arrogant, and we refuse to go outside of our generation to look for people that could actually help. So the lesson here is on both sides. To the older generation, be humble. And to the younger generation, be more humble. We need each other. We live in a completely ageist society, right? Just look at the way that our careers work. There's a certain window where we can make a significant amount of income. And then before that window and after that window, it is very, very difficult. And that has to go away because we can learn from people on both sides and we honestly need each other. And that's what's wonderful about a community like this. We have each other, and there are people in this room who are hungry for that mentorship, and there are people in this room who are hungry to give it away. Have you ever met someone and asked for their advice and they said no? This is a common principle. If you have something to give, you are fired up to tell that story or, or give that advice. Not only is it flattering, but you're also just, there, there's an inherent knowing in us that if wisdom is imparted upon us, it is meant to be given away. When we truly encounter wisdom, we realize, oh, I need to keep going with this. I need to keep talking. I need to keep sharing. That's what wisdom is all about. So if we're going to talk about wisdom, we have to talk about that book, Proverbs, uh, in the Bible. And I already shared that, you know, it's a book written for teenagers and bringing them up. Uh, the other cool things you need to know about it, it's written by a guy named Solomon, who is the son of David, and he builds the first temple, and he's known as the wisest king who have ever lived. David is kind of known as the greatest king, even though he blows it a whole bunch of times. And Solomon is known solely for wisdom. And the reason is his father implanted that in his very being. He told him, Solomon, 
all you are to do is to pray for wisdom. Like, sell everything you have, go buy wisdom. Right? This is inside trading. This is knowing what to buy. Give everything you've got towards wisdom, and you're going to be okay. And as a result, we have this amazing book that was probably compiled by way more than Solomon, but because he was king, he's like, this is all my information. Um, we have this incredible library of wisdom and these one-liners and these proverbs. So the first 10 chapters of Proverbs is setting up our three major characters, which are Solomon, the Lady Wisdom, and the Lady Foolishness. And then from chapter 10 on, you kind of just get these awesome like nuggets of wisdom in liners. So we've got, we've got a couple here. Do we have that first uh, scripture, Sean? There we go. Okay, so here's a great one. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Like Beautiful, right? And then here's another one. Uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Like what we're talking about today with mentorship, right? Like that's important. And then we get to uh, my favorite. Give beer for those who are perishing, wine for those who are in anguish. <laughs> Let us unpack that one because that one's my favorite. Um, <laughs> basically, you could read this a lot of different ways, right? Like you could read this as, uh, oh, it's, <laughs> my favorite one is you could read this like, you're just going to die anyway, so have a drink, right? That's one, <laughs> that's one way. The other way is if someone is in a lot of trouble, just buy them a beer. And the other one is it's been a really long day, let's have a drink. And then the other one is if you drink this stuff, you will die and burn in hell, right? So there, there's all of those are in this one way. Now the question with Proverbs and the, the real problem we get with all of these one lines because they're so stealable, like they're so takeable, and that's wonderful. They're like these little nuggets of information. But the problem is, what we do is, is we can take those, and to us, that has an obvious meaning. But I would love it if we put one up on the screen here, and we ask someone from over here, I'm not going to do this to you, don't worry, someone from over here what they thought that meant, and someone from over here what they thought that meant. Those answers are going to be drastically different 90% of the time. Right? It'd be really embarrassing if I asked you to get up and it was exactly the same. It's like, well, I'm leaving. Um, but exactly, right? We have to look at the fact that we're all going to view these things differently. So how do we interpret them? How does wisdom play into interpreting wisdom? And the answer is that whole concept of learning from everyone, but it's a little bit different. And it's what, what this tradition, and we've lost this a little bit, calls an argument for the sake of heaven. You see, when early church leaders would come together, and even before that, when early uh, synagogue leaders and temple leaders would come together, they would bring leaders from all over the landscape, and they would throw these dinners, right? And they would all come, and they'd be around the table. We see Jesus in these situations all the time. This is when he's sitting down with the Pharisees, and you're like, why is he sitting down with these people? Don't these people hate him? There's a reason he's invited to the party, and it's not to enjoy the cheese platter. It's so that they can argue with each other. This wasn't just a table, it was basically like a battle royale station where you would come and you would come with what you've been wrestling with. Because this is the whole idea of the faith. Israel means to wrestle, smooth moves Josh, wrestle with God. And we've lost that tradition of wrestling a little bit, right? We've lost that idea of like, oh, we really should be talking and kind of arguing for the sake of heaven about these texts and what we're wrestling with in them, what we're really praying about with them and, and bringing them together and seeing how we can actually get some truth and some wisdom out of this because you'll find that wisdom is a completely shared entity. Something that is so wise, this is such a great way to differentiate wisdom from IQ. IQ is problem solving, right? And it's memorized. So IQ is like recall, like how fast can I get this out of my mouth and onto the paper? But wisdom isn't memorized. Wisdom is groaned. 
solid. Wisdom isn't memorized. Wisdom is groaned. And I don't mean like groan, like groan like these succulents that we quickly threw in these holes to make things look pretty this morning. I mean groaned like when you hear something so real, you audibly make a sound. When you hear something that is so true that you're like, yes, right? It's those like, oh, yeah, like that kind of stuff is when we actually encounter wisdom is groaned, is deep within us. And this is a biblical idea. Paul talks about it in Romans where he says creation is literally groaning for you. It's confirming that you are here and you are among us and that makes us from the inside. It's this moment where something so real encounters us that it's like our insides already knew it was there, but it's been given a name. The mystics would call this the blanket you throw over the divine to see its shape. That's what wisdom is. And when we find it, we go, whoa, right? Wisdom is groaned. And so what would these early church leaders would come together, they would literally start arguing with each other, going back and forth, because they eventually wanted to get to the point where one of them would say something and they would go, oh, and then here's the cool thing. They would all leave that space, go back to the communities that they were leading, and they would take that oh moment with them, and they would share it. And it would be the result of a lot of minds coming together and going. Can you imagine if we tried to do this in this community? Put a bunch of pastors in a room, we probably would just be like, bless you, brother. Like, it wouldn't be an argument, right? We need a little bit of that. I grew up with a brother. There's a four-year difference, so it's never fair. But if you grew up with a brother, you, you kind of know this feeling of at any moment, in any situation, a fight could break out. Like, a wrestling match <laughs> could happen at any second. Um, and I was always four years older than he was, so it was a severe disadvantage until you encounter younger brother rage, which is a very real thing. They're much smarter and they adapt much quicker because they realize, all right, I don't have the manpower, but anything can be a weapon, right? So like all of a sudden, you're not just walking around going like, oh, a fight could break out here, but you're also scanning the room going, broom, get out of here immediately. Like remote control can be weaponized. Like that, you're looking at everything, right? But here's the thing, when I would wrestle with my little brother, the intent, I mean, maybe for him it was to kill me, but the intent for me was not to hurt him or kill him or do anything of that nature. We didn't want to wipe each other out. When you're that young and you're doing that, you're really doing it to see how strong you are. Like, I want to test how strong I really am. And it's the same tradition of these rabbis coming together. They're not trying to annihilate each other or beat each other down. They're basically just trying to test how strong am I in this? And is there a moment that I can, I can get pinned down and release and just go like, oh, wow, that one bested me. That's really good. Jesus has a long tradition of this. Anytime you see him at a table with a Pharisee, this is how it would go down. Um, they would invite him in, and it would pretty much just be him, maybe a couple of his disciples, and the disciples will cover them in just a bit, but they would not sit at the table. They would sit uh, off from the table because you wouldn't be able to sit at the seat of a teacher or rabbi. And the really interesting thing about Jesus is he's never confirmed as a rabbi and yet here are some of the top rabbis bringing this guy in and giving him a seat at the table. So we often give the Pharisees a really bad rap, but we have to understand they were at least ready to listen and hear him out. And they were at least ready to argue with him. And they would use knowledge, not wisdom, to try and do so. They would use recall. And this is the way they would do it. They would get a piece of scripture that they had memorized because that's what that tradition was. That was like we would memorize the Torah or the Tanakh, right? You have it in your bones. And so, they get around, they gather the table, food is served, 
bread is broken, wine is poured. And then one of them would get the conversation going like this. Do we have that scripture from Luke? There we go. Um, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now at first, that sounds like a fine toast, right? Like blessed is he, right? It's not, it's, it's an invitation for an argument, right? What he's doing is he's baiting Jesus because Jesus just went through this whole diatribe in parables of what he believed uh, the kingdom was like, what he believed God was like. And Jesus would often point to the here and the now, like the, the, the life that we are leading. And what this Pharisee was trying to say is, this is a very famous verse out of Isaiah that proclaims the end times, like when the world will absolutely end and what happens after that. And so what he's doing, he's prodding Jesus and he's trying to trap him and he's trying to say, what do you think about that? I know I get it, like all the, all the stuff that's going on here, in our lives, but what do you think about that? Right? And then they settle in and they're ready for this argument. And Jesus goes on this amazing diatribe of like four parables that all have to do with people that weren't invited to the table that they're sitting at. It's the parable of the banquet, it's the parable of the great feast. It's these parables that are talking about go when you throw a party, you invite the people on the corner, you invite everyone to this table. And so all of these Pharisees would have been sitting here listening to this going like, oh shoot, He's called out the fact that we've got no diversity here. That we're all, in, in our culture, rich white men sitting around the table, and there's no one with a voice from the outside coming in. And with that, the scripture actually says that they were speechless, which is very rare for any Christian professional, right? Or any religious professional. They were, they were left speechless. And here's why. He, he, he brought up a truth that was growing. He changed the context. He went, yeah, okay, I understand you want to talk about end time stuff. I know that's on the brain. It's very scary. But I'd rather you actually focus on the people that you're not including in this table and what they have to share. I'd rather that. I think that's a more constructive conversation. That's wisdom. That would have had them groaning, right? And so the cool thing about that Pharisee tradition is if they were groaning with it, they may have looked at like that entire thing, but they knew I've got to come back with something to share on Saturday in my community, la da da right? So they would have taken something from him and said, I don't agree with a single thing he's saying, but I'm going to steal that banquet part, <laughs> right? And they would take it back and they would use it for their own. And this brings up a great, great tradition. Wisdom is the only thing that I will ever, ever encourage you to steal. Steal wisdom like it's your business. And think about this, artists do this all the time. There's a terrific book called Steal Like an Artist. Go uh, pick it up, it, it's incredible. It just, it kind of points to how you see like an original piece of art and you think it's very, very original, but then you realize, oh, they're pulling from like all these different things and some of it is direct, just blatant stealing. But it's a beautiful tradition, steal. Steal wisdom like crazy. Think about how you learned to walk. You imitated your parents, you stole that. They were never like, okay, put this foot here, put this foot here. No, you looked and you said, ooh, I can use that. And you did it. Same as language. You learned the language because you said, ooh, I can use that. Let me take that. If you've ever played an instrument, you're looking at someone else doing it and you're going, ooh, there's a cool lick. I can take that. And you're adding in your arsenal. And it's not so you can directly copy someone. It's just so that you have those things of wisdom that can move you 
forward. Look at the most brilliant author you can think of that writes in nonfiction. Now go to the back of the book and look at where the footnotes were and look at where he pulled or she pulled from all of these different places. Wisdom is a collective thing. And Jesus takes on this posture where he is just always begging to be robbed. He wants us to steal. With the disciples, he's always like, just take this, take this, steal this from me. Hey, this one line, you can just say it's yours, just steal from me. If you were a disciple of a leader, you would not just be focused on what they were saying. This is the very interesting part. It was like you were uh, a, a tradesman learning. You wouldn't just be listening to the words coming out of the rabbi's mouth. You would be looking at the way he walked. You'd be looking at the way that he hugged someone. You'd be paying attention to all of these. And the whole idea was that you would copy them enough to the point that when they passed away or passed you on, the expectation is you'd become this. And in a lot of circles in Christianity, we don't become a, a disciple, which is a follower of Christ, with the expectation of becoming and sharing. There's always something holding us back. We're like, well, I don't, I don't quite have this yet. But that's not the tradition that Jesus is standing in. He's saying just steal wisdom like crazy. And then when you've stolen enough, go out and you share that all and you let it be stolen from you. That's the whole idea. And really, this is sharing, but I love the idea of stealing because it's like, I got to take this so fast I won't get caught, right? There's an urgency to it. Steal like an artist. And we need people stealing different things so that we can steal from them. It's a communal effort here, right? I think that we are all uh, like a puzzle, right? And we're given the pieces to the puzzle and we're given all the pieces we need, but we're missing, like, let's say seven, because that's my favorite number, seven pieces of this puzzle, right? And it turns out we actually have an abundance of these other weird puzzle pieces that don't fit our puzzle, right? We've got a secondhand puzzle on our hands. And part of life is walking around, and a good mentor sees these pieces, and he goes, how do I give these away? The good mentor is constantly walking towards people and saying, hey, do you need this little corner piece with red and green on it? No? Okay. Do you need this little corner piece with red and green on it? And then someone finally comes around and they're like, oh my gosh, I've been searching for that all my life. And they go, I know, I, I just have it, take it. It's gonna help complete you and I don't, I don't need it. And that, my friends, sounds like wisdom that will make you grow, right? Here's the deal, I stole that from a rabbi in upstate New York named Lawrence Kushner, okay? Steal, steal, steal and then give it all away. Because love is no greater than laying your life down for your friends. And that means with the stuff that we have stored up too. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you, uh, thank you for wisdom and just how, how deep that well truly is when we go into what it means to uh, acquire it and, and learn from it. Lord, I pray um, that we would get connected in this community with people that are around us that we can learn from. For lack of a better word, that we can steal from. And I just, I thank you so much for our ability to worship and to come to the table. Amen.